2: a lot of my attention, a lot of my commentary and reaction on elected officials, and in particular, in, in times like we find ourselves, elected Republicans who are failing to do what they all campaigned on. But uh, the the blame doesn't stop with those who are given official political power. It goes to the, the larger, the broader community surrounding that political apparatus, including folks such as myself who engage in commentary. We're going to talk about that a little bit and the responsibility that folks in those positions hold on closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream the program. We're here nine to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you spending your Friday evening with us. 651- 989-5855, the number to join us. Brad Omlin taking those calls and producing our show. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Okay, so from Politico, before I get into the text of this piece here, I feel as though I need to address an elephant that it evokes that's going to be in the room as soon as I say the name. This is an article about Sean Hannity. And, of course, Sean Hennedy is on this very air. He's part of the Twin Cities News Talk family, right? And so I'm about to criticize Sean Hennedy, all right? Let's just cut to that, Chase. I'm about to be highly critical of Sean. Now, I don't do so in order to suggest that anyone should not partake of his commentary or should not entertain his arguments. I was listening to him today. And I listen to him frequently, and but, and but the the value that I'm seeking when I listen to him is something very specific. It's and the the way I explain it, the way what I equate it to is the movie Titanic. <laughs> when this when this movie came out, however far back it was, I think it was the late '90s. People went to go see Titanic, not because they were wondering how it was going to end, right? We all knew the ship was going to sink. Nobody was surprised when, it, when the iceberg came. Nobody was shocked when the, the stern slid beneath the frigid waters, right? We all knew that was going to happen. But the reason you went to go see the movie anyway is because you're, you're looking at the production. You're looking at the, the how did, did these particular characters handle themselves— in that context, how did we get from point A to point B to point C and so on? That's the the value, the entertainment value that you're seeking in a film like Titanic or like Pearl Harbor or, or uh, like Dunkirk that's out in theaters now from Christopher Nolan. You know you know the ending of the story, but it's in the telling. That's where the the entertainment value is. I partake of Sean Hennedy in a similar way. I... I know how his story ends, right? Like, I, I can tell you before he says it what his take is going to be on literally anything. The criteria is quite simple, nowadays especially. Does it help Donald Trump? If so, he's for it. Does it hurt Donald Trump? If so, he's against it. That's the end of the story. That's the ship sinking, right? Like, that's what he's going to say. He's going to be for anything that helps Trump and against anything that hurts Trump, period. That, that is the totality of his analysis. He's not going any level deeper than that. But I still tune in and I still listen to him because there's there's value in the, the how is he going to pull off this one, right? Like when when Sean Spicer quit today, I know that Kennedy's going to make, somehow try to twist it into being a good thing that that is actually an affirmation of how wonderful Trump is. I know that's the conclusion. That's the end of the story. But I'm really curious as to how he's gonna how he's gonna stick this landing, right? Like how is he gonna pull this off? What's his argument going to be? That's why I tune in. All right, with that preface <laughs> from Politico, Fox News host Sean Hennedy will no longer receive the Media Research Center's William F. Buckley Jr. Award for Media Excellence at the group's September gala. Sources familiar with the situation said it is because Buckley's son, Christopher Buckley, was unhappy with the decision and expressed his view to MRC head Brent Bosel, who is also Buckley's nephew. But Hennedy and the MRC are claiming it's a scheduling conflict. Hennedy's name has been removed from the event's website. It's a cover-up, a source in conservative media familiar with the situation told Politico. Buckley declined to comment. Sources close to Hennity said he had to decline the award because he couldn't attend the gala and that it wouldn't be fair to the conservative media watchdog organization if he couldn't make it to the event. A spokesperson for the MRC, Ryan Moy, also said the schedules did not align. A Fox News spokesperson said Hennity couldn't attend because of scheduling problems and that he apologized that he was unable to attend the event, which is their big annual fundraiser. CNN first reported that Buckley was unhappy with Hennedy receiving the award and that the scheduling reason was concocted as an excuse. Hennedy responded on Twitter on Friday saying, If National Review, Never Trumpers, or WFB's son were upset about me receiving the award, they never told me. Now I'm really glad I said no thanks, he wrote. Fact. Awards are BS ways to raise money. The only award I care about is serving my audience— the support of my audience, and saving the USA, he tweeted out. Recipients of the award, most recently the late conservative icon Phyllis Schlaffe, have received the award without attending the gala, which kind of undermines this whole uh, claim that it was a scheduling conflict. New York Times columnist Brett Stevens, who has become uh, uh apologist, used the, a recent column to excoriate the MRC decision, to give the Fox News host an award bearing Buckley's name. Uh, as, aw- as honors go, this is what the guy said, as honors go, neither the award nor the organization bestowing it, the Media Research Center, is particularly noteworthy, he wrote earlier this month. But sometimes symbolism is more potent than fact. If we have reached the point where rank-and-file conservatives see nothing amiss with giving Hennity an award named for Buckley, then surely there's a Milton Friedman prize awaiting Steve Bannon for his insights on free trade. And maybe Sean Spicer can receive the Vaclav Havel International Prize for Creative Dissent in his role in exposing fake news. The floor's the limit. Now, I bring this up because this guy uh, responding to this here at the end of the, of the political piece, he has a point. And again, I, I say this as somebody who partakes of and appreciates and sees value in what Sean Hannity does, even though I don't agree with Sean Hannity a lot of the time, you know, it's the same, Look, it's the same reason why I tune into Pod Save America, a podcast of Democrats of leftists who I have much less in common with than I do with Sean Hannity, and I listen to them too because the value in entertaining commentary is not in agreeing with the person; it's in being able to bounce their ideas off yours and try to refine your thought process be that as it may uh, the point here is is that the conservative movement at this particular moment in time it seems very clear that we if i may if i may presume to use the word we have sidelined intellectualism we've sidelined thought we've sidelined reason we're just not interested in ideas anymore We're not interested in arguments. What we're interested in is 140 character tweets, mud fights with the media, the reality show of cable news. Certainly, that's what our elected president, who is the standard bearer of the party, that's what he cares about, that he's single-mindedly focused on all of that, the circus. There's no room left over. There's no attention left over to be given to ideas to be given to intellect to be given to reason and that is a problem it's a problem that needs to be acknowledged and addressed because it is not sustainable if if we are going to descend into irrationality then at the end of the day the only difference between us and the left is they're focused on destroying liberty and capitalism and freedom And we have no focus. And and those are your alternatives. Focused leftists, unfocused, people who call themselves the right, but but couldn't actually define for you what being on the right means. That's problematic. Let's get into uh, some stories that kind of indicate the importance of having an intellectual response to the things that are happening in the world. From the Washington Post. I've done a bad thing. That's what the five-year-old daughter of Andre Spicer told her dad in tears. Her crime? Selling lemonade for about 66 cents at a stand she set up herself at the end of her block. She'd hung brightly colored signs off the front of a small table hoping to induce visitors to stop. It wasn't an entrepreneurial move. Her family's home in Miles End was getting steady foot traffic as music fans made their way to the Love Box Festival last weekend in London. She just wanted to put a smile on people's faces, Spicer told the BBC. She was really proud of herself. Then law enforcement swooped in. According to Spicer, four local council enforcement officers approached the girl, turned on their body cameras. See, they got that body camera thing down over there in the U.K., Man, I, I apparently they were thinking about shooting her. I, uh, isn't that what you're supposed to do when you when, when you think you're going into a use of force situation? Is turn on your body camera? That's what I've been hearing over the past few days. So I thought they didn't carry guns in the UK. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, good good call. They must have been you know grasping their billy clubs just in case she got out of line. After turning on their body cameras, continue to get the Washington Post. They launched into a legalistic script explaining that she'd broken the law. This gal, she's five. She's five. Can you imagine? I got a four-year-old at home. I got an eight-year-old at home. I can remember when he was five. You're sitting there confronted with, because that's the thing, at that age, at that age, you still look at the police, a police officer, in the way that we properly ought to be able to look at police officers, which is as a hero, as a good guy, as somebody who is there to, respond to and protect us from the bad guys and here you are as a five-year-old being confronted as if you're the bad guy because you had the audacity to try to exchange value for value with willing consumers that's gonna have a lasting detrimental effect
0: i remember when we were younger like if we would have a lemonade stand or one time I even remember we just like picked like flowers and like sticks and found bugs and had a, si- a sign for like a nature museum. Right. The cop came by and like gave us suckers. He thought it was cool
2: that kids were right out and about. Right. I mean, this is and you know, the it seems it, it can seem trivial at first glance. You know, you're talking about a five year old with a lemonade stand. But this is the exact same type of Confrontation, which resulted in the death of Eric Gardner, selling illegal cigarettes, Lucy's, on the street in New York City. These ideas, ideas have real consequences, sometimes lethal consequences. That's why it's kind of important that we engage on the battlefield of ideas, that we have something intelligent to say, something intelligent to present and to advocate for in the sphere of public policy. So this move within the conservative movement, away from intellectualism, towards social media muckraking, towards towards trolling the left just to get them to lose their minds so we can feel good about ourselves that we got them to be angry. That's not gonna save us. That's not gonna do anything productive whatsoever it's coupled with ideas something to think about closing argument my name is walter hudson twin cities news talk am 11:30 1035 fm twin cities news twin cities news talk am 11:30 1035 fm closing argument my name is walter hudson 651-989-5855 the number to join us this evening let's go right to mike in st paul welcome to the program how are you doing this friday evening
1: Walter, thanks for taking my call.
2: Absolutely. You What's know, on I your was, mind?
1: I, I, I was listening uh, here for a while, and I started to think. Um, let's say you and me—you uh, know—we were musicians, and we were kind of talking, and we're like, "Oh, no, I'm kind of interested in forming a band." And we start talking about our influences, and where I'm bringing this is where, when we're talking about the conservative movement. Who are we drawing from? Who are our leaders? What are the ideas and viewpoints? And then currently today, who do you feel is carrying a a torch, if you will, whether they be an author, author, a show? I I know some of the people that I listen to and gather ideas from. Obviously, we have the Constitution. Right. But I'm I'm interested in in hearing uh, kind of your thoughts on that.
2: So I hear uh, kind of two stages to the question. The one being, you know, who who are some of the the influences uh, from the past who we could look to, um, and and also who are some of the folks currently active in the political sphere and the commentary sphere uh, who could potentially be looked to as as potential leaders of a resurgent conservative movement. And to exactly. the fir- to the first part of the question, uh, I, I would say that you you can add in the classics, right? Like the the founders. You know, we should we should be reading the founder. Dave Benner, who is one of the people who I would cite, uh, who, of course, is a, a local guy who ought to be known far wider than he actually is. Um, the author of Compact of the Republic uh, is a guy who is who is steeped in the history of the founding uh, and history, period. But he's particularly focused on constitutional history. And, you know, he, he could talk for hours on end about the intricacies of the debate that took place amongst the founders which gave birth to our nation. I think that's something that we all need to become students of uh, and allow that to inform our thinking. Now, that's the easy answer off the cuff. Everybody's gonna evoke the founders. Everybody's gonna point to somebody like a Milton Friedman or to somebody like a William F. Buckley who we were talking about earlier uh, as potential influences. One person who I would throw into the mix who is often left out and who I think is absolutely essential to a reformed conservative movement is Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand accomplished something that has yet to be recognized for the, the achievement that it is in the realm of philosophy. She did something that no other philosopher before her had been able to accomplish. She actually came up with a comprehensive philosophical system uh, from which she was able to articulate an objective, rational defense of individual rights, uh, and and it's something that that was lacking, and that have, has presented a vulnerability to conservatism because it was lacking. Because you know we we talk about natural rights, we talk about our rights coming from God, our rights coming from our Creator, uh, our rights being self-evident. Right, that's what Jefferson chose to how Je- Jefferson chose to articulate it in the Declaration of Independence. Now, is that correct? Is it correct that our rights are natural in the sense that we innately have them? Yes. Is it correct that our rights are God given in the sense that God created us and therefore the, the nature manifests itself in the form of our rights? Yes, that's true. But you can't argue those things. You can only claim them. What Rand did is she she went to the basics. She went from square one. And she argued point by point through her observations of reality why it is an absolute moral necessity that human beings' individual rights be upheld. So she's somebody who I would really focus on in terms of uh, motivating the future of the conservative
1: movement. Question Do you feel that we have great thinkers and we have all these ideas, but do you think that the right has seeded the ground? In other words, shouldn't the right make more of an effort to get into schools to teach? Yes. Because the left is yes. very effective at that, and we've kind of seeded that ground to the left.
2: Yes, absolutely, 100%. In fact, that's that's one of the things that I've kind of been developing uh, over the course of, of this show in terms of you know the, having a show like this, one, one of the positive side effects of it is that because out of necessity I'm focused on the news and politics every single day for a number of hours every day, it's put me in a position where I'm constantly asking these questions of, you know, what can we do? How can we, how, what thread on this knot can we pull on that's actually going to result in loosening the knot? And what I, what I believe is exactly what you're saying. Education is paramount. Now it's, now it's not the panacea because you can't educate the unwilling, right? You know, it's the old leading the horse to water
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See
1: website for details.
0: If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. But
2: it is absolutely necessary. And I think one of the the self-defeating tendencies amongst true-believing conservatives is, you know, we look at something like public education and we say, well, that ain't right. That ain't in the Constitution. Uh, or or the more libertarian among us would argue, myself included, that public education shouldn't even be a thing, that there ought to be a a separation of state and education.
1: Last point I would like to make or ask is, why isn't there more of an effort to bring these various ideas together or uh, necessarily challenge or offer a debate to the left to say, you know, we're going to be here and we want to discuss these ideas, um, it's unfortunate that a lot of the left shows up in masks and with bottles and all kinds of other nonsense. But where you could actually have a forum where these ideas and these things could be discussed and people, the audience can hear. Yeah. The debate.
2: I don't think that debate is the, the path to take, because, again, you know, it's just like the, the education piece. You, you can't force people to learn. You also can't force people to think. The, 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 th- the thing that the leftists understand and the reason why they've been so successful is that they understand that politics is combat, that it's a contest. I appreciate your call, Mike. They understand that you know there's, there are winners in politics and losers in politics. And so they're focused on the strategies required in order to win. And that's something that we need to adopt on the right. And uh, we're not going to win through through debate. We're not going to win through argument because when when people refuse to think, when people turn their brains off, when people decide that they're going to prioritize their emotions and their feelings above rationality and above objective reality, then there's no basis upon which to debate with them. What what we need to do is we need to to raise up a generation of people who have who have these values. Uh, and, and who have already committed to this worldview and these beliefs to supplant the status quo. Conservatism, libertarianism, however you want to frame it, is the new anti-establishment, right? It's the new counterculture. It's the new cool thing. You want, you want to get back at the older generation, right? You want, to, you want to prove that as a young person, you want to prove that you're smarter than your teacher, than your parent, than, than your clergy, then your boss, embrace these ideas of liberty, freedom, capitalism, the, the pure version of it, where your individual rights are prime above all else. That's revolutionary. That'll get you into some arguments. That'll get you, that'll get you into to some fun. It's exciting. And it, has, and it has the benefit, it has the virtue of not only moral supremacy— because it's right, it's correct, and you can proceed confidently as a champion of it. But it also has the benefit of once you win, once you supplant the opposition, you get to be free. It's kind of a good deal. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, twincitiesnewstalk.com. When I'm doing the prep for the show, I like to try to organize the stories into some sort of uh, topical theme, right? You know, so they all kind of connect to one another. I ran out of themes tonight. So this is just going to be this is going to be random, random smattering of stories for you here on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. The number to join us, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. And your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream the program, Spreaker.com. And your Spreaker app is how you can catch up with our podcast. Just do a search for Closing Argument. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you spending your Friday evening with us. Brad Omlin produces the show. So, OJ. OJ Simpson. There's a piece here by an opinion columnist. Uh, This was, uh, I forget which outlet. USA Today. USA Today. Thank you. Uh, by a James Allen Fox. And I, I don't want to read too much of it because I, I didn't find it to be particularly compelling. It's basically the wringing of hands over the amount of attention that OJ's parole hearing got. Um, this, this is what he says. If you didn't know better, it would seem, given the persuasive or the pervasive attention, that we were swearing in a new president of the United States, not gawking at a convicted felon. At least the hearing wasn't scheduled for a primetime audience. As with other notorious criminals who seek early release from custody, Simpson's parole hearing is certainly newsworthy. The outcome should make headlines, but the level of overexposure rings more of entertainment than news. Now, I, I don't disagree with that. Certainly, it... Is more entertaining than it is newsworthy, but then that's the point, right? Like the, the, this, this type of thing doesn't bother me as much as the commercialization, the 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 entertainment that has become our news cycle, and our political system, and our our, our political campaigns. The there's actually. It actually makes sense that O.J. is the fascinating character that he is and that people are so interested in what goes on with him. People tuned into that parole hearing and and clicked on articles reporting its content for the exact same reason that they watched the season premiere of Game of Thrones. What's going to happen next?
0: Well, doesn't it blur the line, though? Like stations like ESPN and CNN who aired – the parole hearing masquerade as news right so what does that say about those stations yeah it's it's blurring the line between entertainment media it's it's tabloiding what is actually like a
2: serious proceeding in the criminal justice system yeah i could see that argument i i think that i don't know that oj simpson is the straw that's breaking my back here sure i'm saying like yeah that that's absolutely a fair criticism of the media, but this isn't the area where th- this isn't the thing that provokes me to be like, we need to do something about this. Right? Yeah, <laughs> the the thing that provokes me to to that type of response is the the way in which they've you know we we had that Project Veritas video that came out, uh, James O'Keefe that basically. We're, we're CNN producers, were admitting that the whole Russia thing, up to that point, granted there's been some substantive stories that have come out since then, but up to that point was basically just them fishing for ratings. That should upset us because, like you say, you're portraying yourself as a news organization, but here you are basically fessing up to the fact that there's nothing of news value to that which you are reporting. Well, it's... Again, I
0: think that CNN is adopt, or maybe it's you know it's kind of an emerging uh, pattern among news, and each outlet is kind of outdoing the next one. But it's an echo; cha- it's like a magazine echo chamber. Hmm. It's like they cover the same five stories. They they know the top five headlines that will get the most attention, Right. and then right. they talk about it, and then they know like Trump will react to it. Mm-hmm. or other people who have dumb opinions or ridiculous opinions or just other opinions that will dry, dry, draw eyeballs in general, and then they will say, oh, this person said that. Well, I respond with this, and this yeah. person said that. Yeah. How does this person think? And they just kind of milk those stories from there.
2: Yeah, it's it's like a, like a meme factory mm-hmm. almost. Like it's become an industry of, you know, ever, si- ever since you pointed out the ways in which all of these outlets utilize SEO search engine optimization in order to try to maximize clicks. I found myself actively scanning through that. Like it's kind of like the sunglasses in the movie, they, they live um, where, you know, I'm, I put the sunglasses on to try to see past the SEO to what the actual story. Yeah. Is, which is pretty sad, but it is what it is. Like you got to skim to find the paragraphs that have the new stuff. Because every article that comes out is just a a repackaging of everything that came before it or anything that's potentially relevant to it in order to catch those Google searches.
0: Yeah. I try to just if I, I might read the first couple paragraphs of a news article to see what they're talking about. And then right. if I'm like, okay, I'm kind of bored, I'll just scroll to the bottom and read up the paragraphs up from there. Right. Because generally if you think about like the upside down pyramid of journalism, right. the least important stuff should be on the bottom. So but it's it's turned into with SEO stuff. It's not.
2: There's a piece here uh, from the Star Tribune, which I find interesting. An Arizona Republican who tried to oust Senator John McCain last year suggested Friday that McCain resign because he has been diagnosed with an aggressive form of brain cancer. Kelly Ward, who is a doctor said in a statement that the 80 year old McCain's diagnosis is grim and that his cancer is both devastating and debilitating. This was the quote from Ward. As a doctor, I've counseled patients in similar situations, and these end-of-life choices are never easy. I usually advise terminal patients to reduce stress, relax, and spend time laughing with loved ones. Am I the only one who's a little bit disgusted by this?
0: (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. I mean, as long as McCain's doing what he wants, it
2: doesn't matter. The... This whole as a doctor thing is the thing that I find most abrasive. As a doctor. You're not his doctor. Being a doctor doesn't put you in a position to start offering unsolicited public medical advice for a guy who you who was your political opponent. He, you know, he goes on to say, the Senate has complicated and difficult problems to deal with, and Arizona deserves to be represented by someone— Who can focus on those challenges? Oh, oh, it's a she, actually. That's Kelly Ward. She's campaigning and utilizing McCain's health as a point in the campaign. She's campaigning to replace him. She's basically digging the grave and trying to push him into it under the assumption that she's going to be able to step into his shoes. Arizona, I hope you guys can do better than that. Sounds like par for the course for Arizona, though. Holy moly. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. It's late on a Friday night, and uh, every once in a while, typically when we have Neil Lynch in with us, we'll uh, deviate from the political commentary to get into uh, a little bit of entertainment news. And there were a couple of headlines. They're both related to one another that I wanted to address here tonight regarding the future of the Batman franchise. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. If you want to join us in our final segment this evening. From Collider, Ben Affleck will be seen as Batman once again in this November's Justice League, but it could also be the last time Affleck dons the cowl. For months, there's been speculation that Affleck would be departing the DCEU, with that speculation ramping up in January when Affleck announced he would no longer direct the standalone The Batman. Warner Brothers subsequently tapped War for the Planet of the Apes helmer Matt Reeves to direct, but Reeves recently revealed that he's starting from scratch and not using the script that Affleck and Jeff Johns developed, further putting Affleck's involvement in doubt. And now, A day before Affleck is set to appear at Comic-Con to tout Justice League, the Hollywood Reporter reports that Warner Brothers is working on plans to usher out Affleck's Batman gracefully, addressing the change in some shape or form in one of the upcoming DC films. For Warner Brothers' part, at least publicly, the studio remains committed to Affleck, as Studio Chief Toby Emmerich tells the Hollywood Reporter, Ben is our Batman. We love him as Batman. We want to keep him in the cowl as long as we can. Now, this is the the behind-the-scenes drama of Warner Brothers and their DC Comics film universe is in some ways more entertaining than the actual DC Comics films. And I say that as a DC Comics fan and as somebody who really desperately longs for this endeavor to work. You know, what Marvel has done, what Disney has done with the Marvel Studios property – and, and that whole cinematic universe uh, has been—it's it's really enjoyable and a lot of fun and really impressive. I mean, it had never really been done before on, on this scale to have so many movies. I mean, there's—it's there, over—well over a dozen now, movies that make up this, this chronology of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, it, it you know, it's not perfect. There are things that you can pick at. But overall— it's amazing how well those films, which center on characters that are vastly different, both in tone and temperament, how well it all gels together and actually is believable that it's all taking place in the same world, in the same universe. And so naturally, you want to see DC, you want to see your those, those classic heroes, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, be able to recreate that and Warner Brothers obviously wants that because they want the bank. They want to get in on on, uh, on all that money, but they just haven't been able to make it happen. And the behind-the-scenes drama of why they haven't been able to make it happen, like I say, is is in many cases more interesting than the actual movies themselves. You know, this Jeff Johns guy who they, was co-writing the script with Ben Affleck of uh, this Batman film that we're now never going to see. Uh, he, he's a muckety-muck at DC Comics. He's actually written for the comic books. And at various times in the past, he's been touted as the guy who uh, was was basically going to be the the helmer, the brain, in charge of the overall DC property at Warner Brothers, which would have been a good thing because, you know, here's a guy who obviously knows the material, uh, obviously has the, the creative capacity, to uh do something uh, noteworthy and he's working with somebody like Ben Affleck who lest we forget you know say what you will about some of the things Affleck has done in the past the totality of this guy's career is extraordinarily impressive i mean he's earned his role in the a list he is a oscar winning direct not as a director but he 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 has directed best picture films right i mean this is a guy who's an oscar winner uh and he he's his Name, the gravitas he brings as a performer, as a creative per, uh, personage, is the best thing that Warner Brothers has going for them in their ongoing DC Comics franchise, and they're about to lose him, which is pretty stunning and does not speak well to the future of this property. Now, Wonder Woman, if you got out to see it, that was a good film. It was it was fun, but in a way, it's almost it it doesn't really portend the future of of the joint dc comics franchise because wonder woman was unique it was a it was a film out of out of sync with the with the rest of them that have come out so far because it takes place in the past and it was singularly focused on one character you could go in and watch that movie and have never seen anything else and you would understand it from start to finish because there weren't these sort of intricate connections with all the other films and so you know, I, I I can't take too much comfort in how well Wonder Woman was executed and how well it's been received. We're going to have to wait until this Justice League thing comes out and and see what it says. But, I mean, it, it doesn't bode well. When you've got a guy like Affleck who was genuinely thrilled, and this is a guy, just to give you a sense of where he's coming from, he actually has, he has built a bat cave into his house. Wow, <laughs> he did that years ago, long before he ever could have dreamed that he would have the opportunity to play Batman on the big screen. As soon as he got money, that's what he decided to do with it: was build himself a Batcave.
0: Well, it's interesting that Warner Brothers like is having this conflict or like isn't willing to put the money into it because uh, when Christopher Nolan was doing the Batman uh, series, Warner Brothers after Batman Begins, like they knew that Christopher Nolan could given the right resources ha- and the right artistic freedom right do it well and make right. the company a lot of money yeah and so to have success with batman and then move on to someone who is as equally successful who can also write and play the part right, it, right. is it just it speaks a lot about where the movie industry is at yes and just the general state of entertainment.
2: I, how do you screw this up? You've got a guy who loves the character, who's thrilled to play it, who's, who's directed Oscar-winning films, who's given Oscar-worthy performances uh, to, to be the headline banner of your franchise. And you've got a guy like Jeff Johns who's written for the comics and who knows the, the characters backwards and forward. Just let these guys do it. Trust them. And it seems very clear that the executives at Warner Brothers do not or did not. And that's why – and it got so frustrating for Affleck that now he's walking away from it. One of the things that I find interesting is that they say in this piece that they're going to try to address it in a future movie, why Affleck is no longer Batman. There's one of two ways they could potentially go about that. They They could come up with just like Bruce Wayne no longer being part of this universe for one reason or another. And then somebody else take, cause that's happened in the comics where somebody else takes up the mantle. They could do it that way, or they could do something really silly where they try to physically explain in the, in the logic of the universe, why Batman looks different. Please, please don't do that. That would be really, really dumb, but I I can't say that I would be surprised at this point. Warner brothers, Hit or miss. When they hit it, they hit it well. But, man, they miss hard when they miss. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Enjoy your weekend. We'll be back 9 to 11 on Monday and every weeknight next week.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?